All right. Good to hear some instrumental music as uh, we come together this morning. We welcome you to celebration service. And uh, in case you didn't hear the melody there, that was the hymn, Come Thou Almighty King. And in our Chronicles of the King series, we are uh, focusing on Christ the King this morning. All right? Remember that Jesus is the King, the King in the heart of our series that we're in right now. And it may be hard for us to focus this morning, maybe with the challenges at hand. We all have full lives and various things to remind us just how busy we are. But let's not forget that God wants to richly bless us with his presence this morning, right? So let's stand together. Would you seek him? Let's come to him and look to the Holy Spirit and bless him and rejoice in him this morning, all right? Let's join in this great hymn together. The Lord is our King. Let's rejoice in Christ the King this morning. Come on, let's sing together. Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King alone. Rejoice, give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Rejoice in Christ this morning. Amen. Psalm 105 says, Give thanks to the Lord and call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him and sing praises to Him. Speak of all His wonders and glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Yeah. Let's look to Him, all right? We want to seek Him. Look to Him for His strength, His grace today.
by the Holy Spirit, His presence here.
from Israel, and uh, we're excited to see what God has done there and what God is doing here. I just want to spend a couple minutes this morning welcoming you, letting you know a couple of things that are up and coming. If you are visiting with us as a first-time guest, we encourage you to grab the card in the seat back in front of you, fill that out. We'd love to be able to pray for you, find out what's going on, and then just have a little bit of FaceTime and, and see who you are. You want to bring that out to Connection Point Central out in the lobby today. And uh, we have a little gift for you if this is your first time. If you've been here for many years, you don't get the free gift. You have to know people for that, all right? Um, for all the stuff I'm about to tell you and even more, you can go onto our website, Calvary Life. 
www.ghostofgod.org. Um, a couple things coming up in the next couple weeks that are really important uh, under the, the realm of marriage and family ministries. Uh, coming up this next weekend on Friday evening, Saturday morning, we have a conference called Refreshing Your Marriage. We will have Doug Fields and Jim Burns. They'll be out here uh, Friday night starting at 7 o'clock and then Saturday morning uh, going through about lunchtime. But it's just a time for us to focus and refresh our marriages, um, to be looking. We always need to, we need to be uh, looking at, at ways that we can be invigorating and inspiring our marriages and our relationships. So this will be a really good time. We have a very special uh, discount for us as Calvary members. If you want to come and join us, this place will be full uh, during those two days. And so we want to invite you to come on out. Also want to let you know uh, that starting Wednesdays in March, uh, Pastor Jim McCarty will be leading us in a course called Marriage GPS. Um, as we were walking through uh, the old city of Jerusalem, uh, I thought I knew where I was going, but many, many times I had to stop and say, where am I? Um, and so whether your marriage is in year number four or year number 40, um, we all need some help in navigating, kind of figuring out where we're at and where we're going. Um, so Jim is going to be leading us over the four weeks in March and just being able to give us some really good tools to help us navigate and find out where we can be going in our marriages. So I encourage you to show up. That will be Fellowship Hall, 7 o'clock in the month of March. And then finally want to let you know that we're going to have family camp. Um, we are going to Forest Home this summer. It's, it, I know it feels early. That's like months away. Um, but really our deadline for signing up is in the next week or two. Um, but it's going to be June 25th to July 1st. Um, there's great speakers like Albert Tate and then Jim Burns, who's actually going to be here this week and will actually be there uh, again during the summer. But it's a good time. And what I love is the entire Davis family. We get together and it's, it's the parents, it's my brother and sister and their families and then even the grandparents. And so we get to have a great time together as families. And so just something for you to consider to be strengthening uh, those ties and those gener generations being interconnected. And so it's just a really awesome, awesome weekend and, uh, and good investment. So if you have more questions about that, uh, feel free to contact me or look more at our website. And there's just some great tools and places. And uh, the price might be a little intimidating, but we have some scholarship help that we'd like to come alongside and help families that might need to get going there. Um, so that's the stuff that's coming up for marriage and family. I want to invite up Leah Hess, who is our interim head of school. Would you give her a big round of applause, please? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Leah, tell us what's happening in the school. What's sure, coming up? Sure, sure. Lots of great stuff going on. One word that God put on my heart as we're in this season at Calvary Christian School is the word encounter. And we are really being intentional about looking for ways to encounter God as we navigate our academics, our athletics, even our spiritual development of our students. So it is something that uh, you'll see around campus. Teachers and staff today will be wearing their encounter shirts, and it's just a great way for us to draw closer to the Lord and um, encounter him in all the areas of the school. A lot of families at this time are looking at school for their children, and lots of people always ask, why choose Calvary Christian School? So we wanted to showcase for you today some of the familiar faces you may see on this campus uh, who are Calvary School grads. So talk to them. <laughs> Take a peek. It's, it's always good to see our school pictures, right? <laughs> we Shannon love Reese. Shannon Reese has not aged a day. That looks beautiful there. <laughs> She's going to kill me for that. Uh. <laughs> So we care so much about our students, and we love to see them coming back 
to the church, to the school, and serving as teachers, pastors, even in our, in our after-school program. So it really is wonderful to see what a legacy the school um, has here. So if you are interested, you have little people in your life that you would like to uh, see them come to Calvary Christian School, we would love to have them here. It could be grandchildren, children, uh, big kids, little kids, K through 8. Um, have them come, give a call. Uh, we'd love to give them a tour, sit down and, and talk through programs that we have to offer. We have a table in the back, so please come back and, and talk with us about that. Our other big exciting event coming up is our Planting Oaks Gala. And we would love for you to be praying for that event. We, this is um, our main fundraiser where we secure the monies needed for financial aid. We have over 37 families, which impacts 48 students that would not be able to be part of our Christian school had it not been the generosity um, of some of you and those that come to our event. So please, if March 17th, make sure you're wearing green, come join us for the fun event. And if you have a home or something to donate that you would like to give to the event, we sure would love to to accept that, but first and foremost, we'd love for you to be praying for this event, and again, we have information at the table in the lobby, so come see us. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Leah. Um, we also just want to lift up one of our missionary families, uh, Steve and Jenny Meeker. They're serving us in Croatia, and uh, their ministry is a camp-based ministry. They were actually here a couple years ago for VBS. Um, we want to lift them up. Those are uh, some of our partners overseas um, doing great work in the lives of others, and so we are part of that investment and connectedness to them. So I want to lift them up, our school up, and uh, the message as we uh, dive into this morning. So would you join me as we pray? God, thank you for this morning. Be with us as we uh, are open to your spirit. I pray that you'd be leading us and guiding us in all that we do. Um, Lord, right now, uh, wherever the Meekers are at, as they're finishing up Sunday, um, we just pray that you would be encouraging them as they head into their new week of ministry. And uh, Lord, just lift up that camp and use that as a place, a sacred place that you would be working in the lives of the people that they're reaching out to. God, thank you for our school, um, this ministry that we have right here on our campus. We pray for Leah and the rest of her crew as they're investing themselves in the next generation. We pray um, that the students that need to hear from you and to be encouraged and, and growing in their academics and, and transforming their hearts, Lord, we pray that um, this place would be one of encounter with you, an awesome and holy God. Lord, be with us this morning as we continue to uh, find out what you have done through the lives of kings long ago and how we might be able to learn from them. Be with Dave as he speaks with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Leah. Leah, somebody's going to donate a home. That would, be, that would be fantastic. We would love for you to... Uh, is that what she said? Okay. All right. Forget about it. It's good to have Matt back. You know, Matt's uh, coming back from the motherland. He's the rabbi here at Calvary Church. And... Uh, one of these days, I expect to just uh, him to stay over there and live in the caves of Engedi, and we'll visit him every so often. We'll have a beard that goes all the way down to here, so we're looking forward to that day when he finally has that. Hello, is this on? Are you, are you hearing me? Listen, I'm Dave Mitchell, and uh, I make no bones about that. And so it's good to be with you, and uh, look forward to sharing together in God's Word. We're in the Chronicles of the Kings, looking at the Kings of the Old Testament. And uh, it's just a fascinating story the way God has given to us the truths about these kings because a lot of the truths that we're going to read, that we have read and will read, are frankly very embarrassing to God because these are his people and they have not lived a life that is very 
good for them. And we want to talk about how important it is to live an honorable life before the Lord. And as we get into the text, I want to give you this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago was the Super Bowl, and uh, one of the players was uh, Matthew Slater. He was given an award, the Bart Star Award, award for uh, this, the character, you know, off the field, on the field character. And so we're thankful for testimonies that go out like that. So it triggered my mind uh, a little bit about Bart Starr. And uh, Bart Starr played for the Green Bay Packers, and uh, he was influenced by a famous coach, Vince Lombardi. And uh, this is what he said about playing and knowing Vince uh, Lombardi. He says, I wasn't mentally tough before I met Coach Lombardi. I hadn't reached the point where I refused to accept second best. To win, you have to have a certain amount of mental toughness. Coach Lombardi gave me that. He taught me that you must have a flaming desire to win. It's got to dominate all your waking hours. It can't ever wane. It's got to glow in you all the time. It's got to glow in you all the time. That's for football. We love the game of football. But I think about that kind of passion. Wouldn't it be fantastic, those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we would have that passion for Christ, that it's glowing in us all the time, that we are fully always in for Him. This morning, I'm going to talk about the challenge that because there are times in our lives when we have a more half-hearted faith. And uh, I'm going to invite the guys in the back to flip the switch for me back there so we can move to the next slide. But in Second Chronicles 25, I invite you to look at that as the text that we're going to use as we walk together in this truth. And, uh, okay, well, it's, all right, well, let me just get myself oriented here. All right, we're in good shape. I just can't see it back there. All right. We love the big new screen. I love the big new screen. Did you like that thing? My thanks to uh, Ryan Rail, who is an engineering genius here, uh, helping to uh, craft and, and build those things together for us. This morning, I want to talk about a half-hearted faith. And as in Second Chronicles chapter 25, we're looking at this slide. This is the chronological order of the kings that were there. You have it on the back side. We're looking at a fellow by the name of Amaziah. There was the northern tribes known as Israel, the southern tribe known as Judah. And here is the image of that. The southern tribe of Judah is where Amaziah was king. It's about 800-ish B.C., close enough for our purposes this morning. And he is an amazing king. And he is one of the good kings. There were evil kings in the north. There were some good kings in the south. And he was one of those good ones. Now, for the purposes of analogy... As you all may know, and I learned a little bit more about this because I started looking into it, there are the eight phases of the moon. So as the moon circles around the globe, we see different images of the moon. We'll see a full moon, we'll see a half a moon, we'll see a fourth of a moon, we will see what is strangely called, for me at least, strangely called a new moon, uh, where there is no moon, but it is a new moon. And then it begins again as we see a fourth and a half and it eventually comes around to a full moon again. Every day there's a little bit of a change. And throughout the month, there's constant change. I'd like to take that as a perfect spiritual analogy for our hearts. I think on any given day, our hearts are all in, full-hearted commitment to Jesus. But then circumstances change. People change. My emotions change. I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. 
I got fired from my job. I just found out that I've got cancer. And you know, that heart begins to change as it goes around Christ. And sometimes we have circumstances and situations where my heart is no longer full on for the Lord because I'm beginning to think and lose heart on what He wants from me. And this morning, I want to challenge us that in any given day, and my heart, you know, I, get a, I, I am paid to do this. I'm paid to be a preacher. I'm pre- paid to be holy. I mean that in the best sense of those words, whatever that is. And yet every single day, my heart may be wholehearted. It may be three-quarters hearted. It may be half-hearted. Because something happens, someone says something, circumstances change, something happens in my family, something happens in my health. And what we want for all of us, what God wants for you and for me, is to be wholeheartedly for him. That we're not constantly evolving and changing, but that we're spot on with our heart. This morning, I want to explore that, how to be wholehearted for God. The key passage in the top of the outline that you have available for you there, as you can see it, I have included that in the bulletin. You'll have your listening pleasure will improve if you follow along in the outline. But 2 Chronicles chapter 25, 1 and 2 says this. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. 25. Wow. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord. And here's what God wants us to know. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. I wouldn't want that on my gravestone. (laughs) Oh, he did pretty good, but he wasn't really wholeheartedly for the Lord. This is what we want to address. How do you know when you have a whole heart? Well, in the text that we're going to go through in 2 Chronicles 25, it doesn't say he has a half a heart, as I have in the outline. It doesn't say that he has the empty heart, as it says in the outline, but I take from that passage that when it's not wholeheartedly for the Lord, there is a fraction, there is a change, there is a partiality to his heart. So this morning, we first of all find out that he is wholeheartedly for the Lord. And in 2 Chronicles 25, we read this. In verses 3 and 4, he is wholeheartedly here. He becomes king, takes over for his dad, His dad has been murdered. The servants rise up against his dad, kill that king. And it says in verse 3, Now it came about as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his grasp that he killed his servants who had slain his father, the king. So that's pretty harsh, very different kind of economy in those days. So you kill those who killed the king. That seems like a just thing. However, he did not put their children to death, but did as is written in the law of the book of Moses, which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers should not be put to death for the sons, nor the sons be put to death for the fathers, but each should be put to death for his own sin. Now there's a lot about that that is not applicable to us because we're not going around killing people who have done harm to us. We're not too concerned about the fact that I shouldn't be killing the children of the people that did harm to me. But what I love about Amaziah in this grander picture that he says, here's what God says. I can take the lives of those who unjustly killed my father, but I'm not going to bring about an unjust 
crucifixion on the children or the grandchildren or the nieces or the nephews of these who have done those things. Why? Because God said not to do it. So there he is wholeheartedly. He said, here's what God says, I do it. I believe it, I live it. That's wholehearted faith. The problem is that on any given day, as I said, we like the moon, we change. And what happens to Amaziah happens to us. He, he goes from a wholehearted faith, God said it, I do it, to a half-hearted faith, as I call it. And that half-hearted faith happens here. And in verses 6 through 10, let me read 6 through 10. If you have the Bibles, you might want to read with me. It says actually in verse 5, Now, moreover, Amaziah assembled Judah, and he appointed them according to their father's households under commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds and throughout the Judah and Benjamin. And he took a census of those who from 20 years upward and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war, handle a spear and a shield. So he's, he's taking a census of the land, fine. And then he hired 100,000 valiant warriors out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. And what verse 6 is telling us is that for 100,000 men, he gets mercenaries. He goes to the 10 northern tribes, Israel, and he hires mercenaries to come and help do battle with his Judah and Benjamin tribes. In verse 7, but a man came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you. Don't take the 100,000 mercenaries of Israel. Don't do that, for the Lord is not with Israel, nor with the sons of Ephraim, referencing that same area. But if you do go, do it strongly for the battle, yet God will bring you down before the enemy, for God has power to help and to bring down. Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? So he's paid a lot of money for the mercenaries of Israel. God says, don't hire them, but I've always given them the money. How am I going to get the money back, he says. So this man of God says to him, don't worry about that. The Lord has much more to give to you than this. Then Amaziah dismissed them, the troops which came to him from Ephraim, which is Israel, to go home. So their anger burned against Judah and returned home in fierce anger. Here is what is happening. God wants to get through to him, but his heart is no longer whole but half-hearted. And I'll show you where. But as we get to that, let me give you a, a wonderful correlation passage. The beauty about God's word is that it teaches us about God's word. The best interpreter, I've been told, of the Bible is the Bible itself. Let me give you one of the great passages in the Bible. This is the verse that I want on my grave when I die. Now, I'm going to be cremated and I just want my ashes to be put in a U-Band coffee cup. <laughs> but on that, just to tape on a little piece of paper when Joy sticks me in the closet somewhere, and in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, this is the great words of God. And, and, and I don't mind if you have caskets and grave sites and things like that. Everybody's got to do it their own way. I'm not making a political statement there. But for me, I'd rather... Yeah, it doesn't even matter. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. 
that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in those things. I've used this verse before. I love this verse. What does God delight in? He doesn't delight in how smart I am. He doesn't delight in how powerful I am. He doesn't delight in how rich I am. Now, he blesses everybody differently with those three things. But what delights him, he delights in the fact that I know him and his loving kindness, his justice, and his righteousness. That's on my heart. That's wholehearted faith. So going back to those first three items, God says, I don't want you to boast about these things, how wise or smart you are, what your IQ is, what your degrees are, how many letters you have after your name. I don't want you to boast about how powerful you are, how many people control, how much influence you have, whatever your position may be. I don't want you to boast about how rich you are, how much money, how little or great. I don't want you bragging about that. It's no bragging rights if you're really poor. It's no bragging rights if you're really rich. God says, I dispense those out unequally to everyone. Everyone is unequal in those areas. We're all unequal in those areas. We shouldn't compare. We shouldn't compete. God just says, I just distribute it differently to everyone. So you can't boast about that. Now, here's what's fascinating. Those three things, wisdom of God, power of God, riches of God, that's where Amaziah failed. Notice the text. You go back to the text. God came to him with a man of God that says, I don't want you to hire those 100,000 Israelites who are missionary soldiers. I don't want you to do that. Wisdom of God comes to Amaziah, tells him you're going the wrong way. Secondly, power of God. You don't need those 100,000 soldiers up in Israel because God is your strength. Thirdly, riches. I've already paid those 100,000 soldiers. How am I going to get my money back? Man of God says, don't worry about the money. God's got more where that came from. And so he's fallen down on the job with a half-hearted faith. Because he's all caught up in his own wisdom, his own strength, and his own wealth. That's what's dominating him. That's the problem. That's what happens to us. We get into this half-hearted faith. Now, just to help drive the point home. This last week was Valentine's Day. Did you all remember that? Anybody need counseling now? One of the things I like to give Joy, because she loves C's candy. This is not C's. This is not what I gave her. But just imagine that this is what I gave her. This is the, the Russell Stover. I don't know if that's like not quite as good. I, I don't know. But uh, in any case, because I don't like chocolate candy. When I bought my C's candy for my sweetheart Joy, they always give you a little free one. You know what I mean? I took a nibble of it and threw it away because it tasted terrible. But I know that she likes it, so I'm willing to sacrifice. And so just imagine that I would give Joy this heart shape. They always taste better when they come in the cheesy heart rather than the square box that I got. But imagine this is what I got joy. And so I would come over here to Kristen Nitz. Kristen, good to see you. <laughs> Welcome. As you look at this box, what if I gave this to joy? What do, you, what do you see here in this box? I see candy missing. You see candy missing. It is, it is half eaten. It is half eaten. They're half gone. How would you feel if your husband came home with a box of chocolates and on his way home he ate half of the box of chocolates and then he says, you know, I've had my fill, you can have the rest. How would you feel? 
How would that make you feel? Half thankful. Very good. Half thankful. That's even, that, even that's gracious because a lot of people say, I'm not thankful at all. Here, you know what you can do with those. Um, in any case, that's how sometimes God feels. That we come before him and we give a half-hearted gift to him, riches. We give half-hearted ability to him, power. We give half-hearted assent to his word. I'll take this part of the Bible, but I don't want that part of the Bible. Sort of that half-hearted faith. It's always fascinating because at Halloween, on Valentine's Day, uh, Joy and I give each other cards, and I gave her a card, and it's amazing. The card I gave her this year is the card she gave me last year. And I I didn't remember that, but that's true. And, and I thought, boy, if only I had kept the card from last year, I could have saved myself two bucks this year. And just, so I spent money I didn't really need to spend. And both of our cards that we gave each other had motorcycles on the front this year. Just amazing. And so, actually in a half-hearted way, just thinking about that, years ago when money was tight, um, Joy and I would go to Hallmark, and we'd stand before say it's birthday or maybe Valentine's or something like that. And so I'd pick out my Valentine for her and she'd pick out her Valentine for me. And then I'd give it to her and she'd give it to me and we'd read it. And then we'd put it back in the uh, (laughs) thing. And it's really great. Because then I could give Joy three bucks and say, go buy yourself something nice. And so it's a great way to be able to hear that that is probably what you would call a half-hearted loving relationship when you do things out of financial strain. But you don't want to have this kind of relationship with God. So what God wants us to do is to not have a half-hearted faith with Him. He doesn't want us to have a half-hearted love with our spouses. He doesn't want to have half-eaten things that are consumed and we give God the leftovers. God doesn't want that. So He wants us to bring the heart back Here is what God gives us in his word about returning from that half-hearted faith to a wholehearted faith. And we see again, going back to those same verses, in verse 7, this godly man comes to him, but a man of God came to him saying, O Lord, King of the army of Israel, for the Lord is not with you nor with the sons of Ephraim. God says, I want you to come back with God's truth. Here's what God says. I want you to be obedient to it. Don't go around God to find truth that you like Bring God's truth. God has truth for us. And every decision I make has consequences. When he made the choice to hire 100,000 Israeli mercenaries from the northern ten tribes, he then had to renege on that covenant. And as a result of that, in verse 11, it says, Now Amaziah, or actually in verse 10, now Amaziah dismissed them. The troops came to him from Ephraim, which is the northern part of Israel, to go home. And here is what happens when he makes a terrible decision. So their anger burned against Judah and returned home in fierce anger. Bad decisions create bad consequences. When I don't live by God's truth, I'm prone to make bad decisions. And I think it seems right for me, but God says that's just plain wrong for anyone. We need to be careful about the decisions based upon the wisdom, based upon the truth that drives us. 
Decisions have consequences. I want to take you back in time. I was rereading some things, and one of my dear friends of ours that uh, Joy went to school with, her name is Charlotte, and she's still a good friend of ours and lives in the area here. And so Joy and Charlotte and her other friends from Westmont days, way back, I don't know, what college was like kind of five or ten years ago. Uh, so all those years way back then, and her son Charlotte Brent wrote me this email. He says, hello, Dr. Mitchell. All right, thank you very much. Thank you so much for going to Westmont. Because you went to Westmont, you met a guy who encouraged you, and that would have been Bob, who challenged me. Because in Westmont, I was a half-hearted believer. Honestly, I was. I had a half-hearted faith and half-hearted intent to walk with the Lord. But God challenged that half-heartedness. Then at Westmont, you met Joy. Joy was a roommate with Charlotte, his mother. Charlotte later had me. Now, in between that, Charlotte met Jim and got married. I moved to Irvine to go to college. I needed to find a good church near school. I knew you, so I went to Calvary. After going to Calvary a couple years, I met Elizabeth. Then you married us, and now she is my wife. Since you decided to go to Westmont, God was able to direct my path to the woman of my dreams. Isn't it interesting you live long enough to see that decisions you made 40 or 50 years ago have ramifications for the next 40 or 50 years. So it behooves us, love that word, behooves us that we think here's what God would have me to do because when I make a decision at age 25, going to have ramifications for me when I'm age 65, and everybody who I have contact with, there may be a ripple effect with them as well. So I need God's truth that guides my wisdom to walk with him. Secondly, I need God's power to help overcome. Notice what the godly man says to him, but if you do go, do it be strong for the battle, yet God will bring you down before the enemy if you're not wholeheartedly trusting in God's power. For God has power to help to bring down. God has power for you, Amaziah. You don't have to somehow maneuver your way into human capacity of strength. If you trust God, God will do it for you. Now, God uses this wisdom so I make good decisions, but God uses his power to enable things to happen. And too often we want to go at humanly. That's interesting because Brent then wrote me another email. And he or actually told this story that we heard that he and Elizabeth, his wife, Elizabeth, his wife, is a PA. So she's high in the medical field. Well, they had a couple of kids and they had a little baby. They had a six-year-old and a little baby. And uh, Elizabeth was changing the little baby's diapers and somehow tumbled off the the little table that you change the diapers on and fell to the ground. Well, that's obviously horrendous for any parent. So the little baby starts crying. For the next hour, the little baby keeps crying. She can't get him to stop using all of her medical expertise. So she finally says, Brent, I think I need to take her to the baby to the ER. So as they're loading up the baby to go to the ER, Brent stays with the six-year-old, and Brent, with his little six-year-old, prays. says, God... We ask that you pray our little pray for your healing for our little child. So they prayed that, and Elizabeth goes, and she finally drives into the parking lot of the ER. And as she drives into the parking lot of the ER, 
the baby stops crying. So she goes and tends to him, and turns out he's okay. So she never went into the ER, so she turned around and says, I think I can take care of him at home. So she drives home, brings him home. So a six-year-old sees mom come back with the baby. And the little six-year-old says, did the doctor fix my brother? And Elizabeth said, no, because when we got there, he was okay. So he didn't need to go in. And then the little six-year-old brother says, you mean God did it all by himself? <laughs> and so that, that is a wholehearted faith. Where I say, God, now we don't, you know, we, doctors are good, ERs are good, we need hospitals. But I love the heart of a little six-year-old. I says, you mean God did it all by himself? That's wholehearted believing in God's power. And then finally, I love this quote, Alan Redpath. I used it on my email, and I know all of you read it this last week, so this will be repetition for you. But in case one of you didn't, he said this to a woman who was being challenged by the loss of her marriage. There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until first of all it has gone past God and past Christ, right through to me. And if it's come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at that moment. But as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him, and accept it as coming from those, uh, the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me. No trial will ever drown, disarm me. No circumstance will cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is, and that is the rest of victory. It's a mindset that God's power is at work. I don't always understand it. It doesn't always go the way I want it to go. But as this godly man says to Amaziah, Amaziah, don't trust in your wisdom, God's. Don't trust in your power, it's God's. And then you need to trust in God's wealth. He's worried about all the money that is given to those 100,000 mercenaries from Israel. And I love this man of God. He says, the Lord has much more than that. You think God's going to run out of money to take care of you? No, he is not. So what God wants us to do is to take that half-hearted heart and bring it back to a whole heart by saying, God, I'm no longer going to rely upon my wisdom, my power, or my wealth. I know those things will change. Jeremiah, I'm not going to boast in those things. I'm going to say, God, I don't have the wisdom, so give it to me. I don't have the power. I need yours. God, I don't have the resources that I'm required to have for this. So God, I'm going to believe your word that you're going to make that possible. That's a wholehearted faith that says those things are beyond my reach. So God, would you do your work? And then as we do that, we need to be guarded against this emptied faith that sometimes can occur. The rest of the passage talks about, and I call it an empty-hearted faith, but in verse 14 it says, Then after that Amaziah came from the slaughtering the Edomites. He destroyed the Edomites. He brought the gods of the sons of Seir and set them up as his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. And this must just break the heart of God because he goes from this wholehearted faith to what I think is a completely empty-hearted faith because what he does is he goes, destroys the Edomites, which is in the southern part outside the east side of, of Judah. 
And then he brings back their gods. This man that God said did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. Well, that lack of whole heart is revealed in his worship. As the text says, he brought the gods of the sons of Seir, which are the Edomites, and he set them up as his own gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Can you imagine? Here's a guy that did right in the sight of the Lord and then worships pieces of stone. And it's a warning to me that we don't have idols here. We may have what we call sacred cows, but we don't have idols. So we're not going to a foreign land and bringing over idolatry. But here's the warning. Here's the application for me. That when I come here for corporate worship, that I'm all in. I'm here on time. The words we sing, I think about them. I can easily drift off in a song, especially a song that I've sung probably a bajillion times having grown up in the church. It's so easy for my heart to no longer be whole but to be partial, to need a heart transplant. Because instead of thinking about the words I'm singing, I'm thinking about, is it too cold in the room? Is the volume too loud? Why is that screen flickering? Why is that person doing what they're doing? I'm thinking about anything but the words that praise my God. And for me, that becomes idolatry. Because my eyes are no longer on the Lord. My eyes are on myself. And God says, I don't want empty-hearted worshipers. I want you to be all in. Signs of an empty-hearted faith is that when I believe what about God is changed by what society says. Notice what he says in the text to verse 15. Why have you sought the gods of the people? You've gone to the people outside Jerusalem. You've gone to the Edomites, and they have convinced you what you should believe about God. Their gods that you've come back with, they didn't help them. They didn't deliver them. Why would you want to turn to them? And when you think about the beliefs of those outside of those who follow Jesus, God would say, why would you want to go do that? Why would you want to believe that way? Why would you want to compromise what God says in his word by surrendering your values to the values of a culture that doesn't believe in the same God that you worship? How has that ever helped them? It hasn't. So I need to be guarded against an empty-hearted faith where my worship is diluted, my commitment to biblical truth is dissolved, and I start surrendering to cultural values that have no bearing of goodness in my life. And then I, when I reject God's word to guide me, I shun what biblical truth of confrontation should occur. And the king said to him, "How?" and this, this man of God comes to him and confronts him in verse 16. And in verse 16 it says this, And as he was talking to him, the king said to him, Have we appointed you a royal counselor? Stop! Why should you be struck down? Then the prophet stopped and said, I know that God has planned to destroy you because you have done this and not listened to my counsel. It's so disheartening when those who claim to have a wholehearted belief in Jesus are confronted with biblical truth and then they say, stop, 
I don't want to hear it anymore. God needs to bring like this godly man to Amaziah. He needs to be godly people to me. Like I mentioned, Bob. Bob came to me at Jack and Joe restaurant. It reminded us last, third, last Sunday night as our life group got together. There's this replay into my mind that I was living before God with an empty-hearted or at least a half-hearted faith. And Bob sat down at that Jack and Joe restaurant, that little hamburger shack of a place in Santa Barbara outside of Westmont College. And Bob says to me, he says, Dave, you need to get off the fence. You've been wavering this side, that side, of for the Lord, against the Lord, and just like you just don't care. He didn't say it, but what he could have said is that you have a half-hearted faith. Why don't you be wholehearted? Be wholehearted or just move on, but don't look like you're all in when you're not. And Bob kicked me on the behind. And he confronted me on my sin. And as that was the day that life began to change, and it was after that I applied to go to seminary. Applied to one seminary, Dallas Seminary, went to seminary. And even in the course of that, there was this heart that every so often I got to be whole, and then it would shrink, and it would get larger, and then shrink. And it's taken this long for me to finally begin to have a sense that this is what it looks like to have a wholehearted faith. Because I can waver in my heart based upon how well the church is doing, how well some of you are doing, how well I think I'm doing. And I can be consumed with these things that dilute a wholehearted faith. God says, just trust my wisdom, trust my power, trust my wealth. I'll take care of you. And it's hard to do that. So I need to move from an empty-hearted faith to this wholehearted faith. And one of the things that happened to me is what happened to him. I'm going to unpack this next week, the whole thing of pride. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, Amaziah had a son, Uzziah. And Uzziah turned out to be just like dear old dad. He walked with the Lord, but not with the whole heart. And his pride did him in. But I love this challenge because God came along and challenged him, confronted him. He says, why should, your prior, why should you provoke uh, trouble so that even you would fall and Judah with you. But Amaziah would not listen, for it was from God that he might deliver them into the hands of Joash because they had sought the gods of Edom. So God gave him over to this enemy and crushed his spirit. God sometimes brings harsh things to awaken in us a need for him. Now, I don't know where you're at on this little chart. But God wants to move us from wherever we are at. And again, when I was in Westmont, I was somewhere on the right-hand side. And then on any given day, I can be somewhere other than on the far, far left-hand side. So let me read this. I know it's sometimes hard to listen to me when I read, and sometimes I don't read very well. But I love this two-paragraph passage that comes out of a book called in the presence of mine enemies. This guy by the name of Howard Rutledge. You know, you see all that stuff going on at Berkeley and some of these college campuses around the world. You know, remember way back, a lot of us are in this room, as I look around this room, a lot of you were in the era of the Vietnam War Rebellion. You know, it was just terrible stuff. Kent State, student shot and killed, just terrible stuff. This is Howard Rutledge. He is in a POW camp. He was a Air Force pilot shot down and ended up in a POW camp. 
in Vietnam. And this is what he wrote in his book. During those long periods of enforced reflection, it became so much easier to separate the important from the trivial, the worthwhile from the waste. For example, in the past, I usually worked or played hard on Sundays and had no time for church. For years, Phyllis, his wife, had encouraged me to join the family at church. She never nagged or scolded. She just kept hoping that I was too busy, too preoccupied to spend one or two short hours a week thinking about the really important things. Now the sights and the sounds and the smells of death were all around me on this POW camp. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ and the church, but in heartbreak, the name of the POW uh, prison camp, solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. Sometimes... God brings prison of various stripes and colors of challenges of life so that for those of us who are not wholeheartedly for him, he might show us how empty that way of life is. Now I want to invite you. In fact, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite our worship leaders to come on up. They're going to sing and play this song. We want to create in me a clean heart. We want that clean heart. We want that whole heart. We want to move our heart to be a wholeheartedly followership of Jesus. And as this song is played, I just invite you to consider, where are you on this chart? Where are you? Where would you classify your heart on this? And what steps will you take to the wisdom of God, the power of God, and the wealth of God to move you back? to spin that thing around and come right through that wholehearted faith in Jesus. We invite you to do that. Let me pray for us and just think about that as this song is played and sung. Father God, as we come to you, we pray that we would have hearts that are wholeheartedly for you. And Lord, there's many things in this world, the beliefs of this world, that can steal our hearts from you. And sometimes my worship is not wholeheartedly for you. Sometimes my worship might be half-hearted because while I mouth the words, my heart is not in tune with what I say. And such hypocrisy, Lord, does not please you. So, Lord, don't let us boast of our wisdom. Don't let us boast of our power. Don't let us boast of our wealth. Let us boast in this, that we understand and know you your loving kindness, your justice, and your righteous. That is what you delight in. Let us delight in that with a whole heart now. As we look to you in Jesus' name.
those are words that God hears and he delights from my heart. I know that. I pray for you the same. Fill a whole heart, a clean heart, a good heart. That we give you our heart. All of it. Not a half-eaten part of it, but all of it. Not the leftovers of it, but all of it. And one of the ways we reflect our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that reflects the most in our heart is our money. And what we put our money in reflects where our heart is at. That's where our treasure is. So we're going to receive our offering. We're so thankful for your gracious kindness. So many of you wholeheartedly give. And we're grateful for that. And we invite all to be participating together in offering to him from heart, a whole heart, our funds for the work of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Help us, Father, as we come before you now. Lord, the whole heart, we want to bring our offerings to you. Not holding back, not grudgingly, but God, out of a cheerfulness and a desire to wholeheartedly support you, to give to you, to be an act of worship to you, to be our sacrificial gift to you. In keeping with the sacrifice of Jesus, may this be our sacrifice now to this moment, this day. And we pray it in Jesus' name.
all that you have in worship to the King. Oh, wow. 
Jesus, Lord. It's great to be able to worship the Lord Jesus Christ with a whole heart, come before him and give him thanks and praise. We need that because something's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow that's going to want to split our hearts apart. And we say, oh, God, what are you doing? God wants us to have a whole heart in all times and all situations. Not the phase of the moon, but all the time, whole heart, whole moon for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that. I want to remind you that as you leave, there's going to be the quarterly that is out there that gives you a sense of all the things that are happening at Calvary Church. We'd love to have you participate in the ways that God allows you, your schedule, your time, your areas of responsibility. And then right after second hour, you can go to Life Group next. And then after second hour, about noon, 1230, we have Discover Calvary. This is the opportunity to learn who are we, what are we all about, what is our vision, our, our mission, who are our people here. And uh, it's our membership class as well. I'll always remember somebody saying to me who joined our church, she said, it's time for me to stop dating Calvary. It's time for me to get married. And so she went to the membership class. I like that. That's whole heart. And so we'd love for you to wholeheartedly be part of what we're doing here at Calvary Church. We'd love to have a chance to get to know you. And also we'd love to pray with you. I have people up here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. I'd love to meet you out in the lobby as you go out that way as well. And um, let me just also say, uh, today is Lee Waters' last day with us. Lee is, there you are, Lee is right over here. And today is her last Sunday with us. She's moving back with her daughter to Arizona. Well, I grew up in Arizona. That's not half bad. And so we're excited for you. Lee has been a, a saint missionary here at Calvary Church over the many years in town and country, a prayer warrior, lifting people before the throne of grace. For God's, so we're going to miss you, Lee, but we wish you well as you continue on to the Lord. Thank you. Her husband, of course, was Ken Waters, who was a pillar here at Calvary Church of missions and leadership here as well. As we go out, let me just read this wonderful text. In Psalm 86, it's one of David's psalms. David was one of the great kings who had a whole heart for the Lord. Not perfect, but whole. And it says in Psalm 86, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. That's beautiful. Thank you, Father, as we go our way. May we give thanks to you with all our heart, wholeheartedly doing what is right for you in motive and emotion in physicality, in every aspect of our lives. May we be all in for your sake and ward against those things that would steal away our hearts of the influences and the challenges of this world. God, they will come, but let us remain faithful to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.